You're listening to Masters of Web 3, a Transac podcast. Join your hosts, Sammy Start, Transac co-founder and CEO, and me, former CNBC money journalist, Megan DiMatteo, for an exclusive look into the stories behind the world's most well-known Web 3 startups. Every episode, we conduct interviews with the high-profile founders, developers, and innovators building the world's most widely adopted blockchain protocols. We want you to hear about the highs and lows experienced along the founder's journey in the crypto space from the people behind the tech that's changing our world and get a 360 degree look at how blockchain innovation is disrupting the internet as we know it. So welcome to Masters of Web 3. Welcome everyone. Today we have Merrick Olszewski. Did I say it correctly? Oh, yeah. It's the way I um, recommend um, folks pronounce it is to think of three, world, three words, uh, all, A-L-L, chefs as in cooks, and then ski as in downhill skiing. So all chef ski. I love that. All chef ski. That is so helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Don't even spell that way. Uh, it turns out it's spelled that way in Polish, but not in English. <laughs> I love it. Well, Welcome, Merrick. We're so happy to have you. Merrick is the co-founder and CTO of C-Labs, which is one of the companies contributing to the Celo protocol, and president of Valora, which is an easy-to-use mobile wallet built on Celo. Earlier, Merrick founded Loku, a machine learning venture-backed company that was acquired by GoDaddy. He's also an MIT PhD alumni and former Facebook fellow who has previously worked at Google, Microsoft Research, and Sun Labs. So how do you sleep? Like when do you when do you get sleep in <laughs> with such an impressive background, Merrick? <laughs> yeah, great question. Sadly, not not enough sleep, uh, especially <laughs> uh, especially last night. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, I think my co-founder um, tweeted something to the effect of, you know, everyone said things would slow down in a bear market, um, but as far as we've been able to see, that's not the case. Uh, when nap? question mark uh definitely summarizes yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of how people feel uh in in our ecosystem everyone's just so excited everyone's still building um really enthusiastically sammy would you say that that's been the case for you as well have you slowed down or sped up in this bear market i i also feel like things have have kind of picked up in terms of building uh i think that uh sentiment is down at the moment i think um, you know, the amount of people like buying crypto and, and getting into crypto feels a little bit down, but the speed of building feels up, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool. So, Sammy, you before we started recording, you said that you're super familiar with Celo and that Transact actually has um, some affiliations with Celo. So do you want to explain for the audience kind of what our relationship is with Celo and when you first learned about them when they first came on your radar? Yeah, so we, we first found out about uh, Celo. I'm not actually sure how we got introduced. It might have been through consensus or, or something like that and, and um, uh, kind of spoke with the team and, and, and was just very impressed with like the, um, the mission-driven uh, aspect of, of Celo, which I'm sure Marek will get more into later on, um, and, and, and kind of saw it as, as something that would, would gain a lot of adoption and um, we joined what I believe is called the Prosperity for Alliance and uh, became an on-ramp for Celo. So, so I think we were like the first ones to, to actually list Celo assets like, like um, Celo and, and Celo Dollar. Um, I think back then it was even called Celo Gold. Uh, it's like two, two years ago, something like that. And, um, and since then, we've kind of, uh, you know, worked with Celo in, in various ways and with the Laura app uh, and, and things like that. So we're just kind of part of the ecosystem. We, we try to support them and help to onboard people into, into their ecosystem by allowing them to buy Celo assets with Fiat using you know, cards, bank transfers, other local payment methods. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to explain that. Now, Merrick, so I come from a creative writing background. So one of my, um, I think one of the reasons why I have job security in the crypto world and also one of my biggest pet peeves in the crypto world is that I go onto these websites often and it's all tech language. It's all just like, we're the first generation layer two protocol and everything's very like, uh, 
everything's very developer centric. The Cello website is not at all. The Cello website feels like a poem. <laughs> it's very like beautiful, and it's a it's very focused on values and humanity, and um, and even the name Cello comes from the Esperanto word for purpose. So. I think that's my first question. I'm I'm going to indulge a little bit and like, can you talk about how your values have shaped the culture of the company a little bit, and then and then take us on a journey into the tech side of it? Because that was one question that I had when I was looking at your website was like, you know, how do these values then create the technology that is um, that is making these uh, ideals a reality? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and maybe before I jump into that, I also just wanted to thank you guys for having me and and for uh, for being uh, early supporters of the ecosystem for for joining that um, alliance uh, that Sammy just mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what we're trying to accomplish is big and ambitious, and the only way we do it is is as as an ecosystem of companies working together. And so, it's just really wonderful to. Um, to have uh, transact be part of part of that journey, um, and and I'm really glad you like the website. Um, it is very different, um, and it's approved. <laughs> and I think it it's uh, it's different because we we are I would say a, a somewhat different ecosystem from from a lot of the different layer ones uh, that have popped up over the last few years. Um, I think we are. Um, certainly much more mission-driven than, than many others. Um, Sela's mission is to build a financial system that creates the conditions for prosperity for everyone. Um, and uh, that that is big and uh, difficult for us to accomplish. And the only way we can accomplish that is, again, as uh, really as, a, as an ecosystem, as a movement of companies um, working together. And... You asked how how that's shaped kind of the, the community and, and the, the technology. Um, you know, the story is really interesting. When, when we first started, um, I, I teamed up with folks that I had worked with in the past, that I had started a company with in the past. And we wanted to do something really big and, and mission-driven. Really, crypto for us was... Yes, it was a really exciting technology that, um, you know, I've been following and, and I happen to have done a PhD or worked on a PhD in, in an area that was very relevant to scaling blockchains. But what really excited us was, was more the self-sovereignty, the self-custodial aspects of crypto that enable anyone to custody funds, um, even if they don't have a government-recognized ID. This was the thing that really drew us in. And uh, and in fact, when we first started, we, we actually wanted to build a wallet on top of Ethereum um, that could be a global Venmo. That was kind of our starting point. That was how how we um, uh, initially thought was the best way to, to kind of work towards bringing prosperity to, to everyone. Uh, but we quickly learned that, yeah. Can I just interject and ask, like, did that come from a personal uh, experience that you or one of your founding members had, or uh, w- did it come from a place of like, uh, for lack of a better word, like idealism, right? Like, like, I, I, like wanting for the ideal world to have this, or was it was there kind of a personal experience that um, that really served as a motivating desire for that? Yeah, really great question. I mean, I think for all of us, we we wanted to. Uh, spend this portion of our careers uh, working on something uh, meaningful and, and something that, that we could dedicate the rest of our lives to. And we wanted it to uh, to be more than just a company. We wanted it to be, yeah. And, you know, I think um, uh, I have an international background. I'm from, my parents are from Poland, but I grew up in Singapore. Co-founder Rene uh, grew up in in. Eastern Germany. He's he's traveled a bunch. He worked uh, at one point for the World Bank in Venezuela. And, you know, I think, you know, we've definitely seen firsthand uh, the differences between what we're used to and what we take for granted um, in Europe and, and North America. And, and I think a lot of people do take that for granted. And, and I think, you know, we've seen amazing 
technological leapfrogging happen with with mobile money um, initially in Kenya and then kind of growing from there. Uh, and we really thought that that this uh, really exciting technology that we're working on um, has an opportunity to to again leapfrog again. And it's not just with financial inclusion, right? I think you know one point. 7 billion people are, are financially excluded today. With today's infrastructure, 1.1 billion don't have government-recognized IDs. So, of course, crypto is a great way of reaching uh, folks that in today's system are, are fully excluded. But, you know, programmability of money actually allows us to do, to do so much more. And, um, you know, a lot of what the ecosystem now is working on is, is you know, not just about financial inclusion, but also about uh, how do we uh, how do we fight climate change? How do we um, build uh, regenerative systems that have positive externalities instead of negative externalities? Yeah, there's so much there's so much there, um, and I, yeah, and I, I love it because there's this very practical side of it too. I think I think it's easy to get theoretical or perhaps even like a little bit lofty when you talk about like the the high level vision, but there's also this like super practical element. And I think every person who's ever, like you said, lived in multiple countries or have relatives in different countries, they just instantly picked up that really practical application um, and use cases of crypto without it necessarily being something that they thought of as like a service or like a service oriented mission of any kind. You know, it was just like, I want to be able to send money cheap, you know, with, with fewer fees and faster to the people that need it, you know. Sammy, were you going to jump in? It looked like you were going to say something. Yeah, I, I have a question. It, and and um, Marek, how, how would you describe Celo and, and how would you describe what you do? Because I, I know you kind of, you straddle like several organizations and alliances and stuff like that. How would you describe it in terms of like, is it a nonprofit? Is it a, is it a for-profit? Is it a DAO? Is it a, you know, like, like, it's kind of hard for me to place all of those things about about what you do. Not 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 that they're mutually exclusive, but, but that's such a great question, and I think and I think our, our re- listeners really benefit from that question because we've had on people from DAOs, we've had on people from corporations, and there's there are all of these legal um, questions that come into place when you're thinking about how to structure your business. So that's a great question, Sammy. Yeah, I, I think I would think of Celo as, as a layer one, just like, you know, Polygon and Avalanche and um, uh, and, and some of these others, but with a difference that we were, we're focused on not just, you know, all the exciting things that are happening in Web3, right? Um, there are people doing a lot of interesting DeFi on Celo and a lot of interesting NFT stuff on Celo. Uh, but we're also really focused on, um, you know, things that, that excite us from, you know, a mission perspective that can be um, creating really amazing mobile money-like uh, products uh, or it could be uh, related to uh, regenerative finance and, and helping fight climate change. I think Celo has attracted historically builders who who care about these things and, and are interested in using uh, Web three as a way of helping make progress on these really really important kind of global global issues. But at the at the heart of it, you know, Celo is just a EVM compatible layer one with some absolutely amazing technology that really rivals um, you know um, chains like Avalanche and Algorand. And uh, and that's what makes everything you know run so smoothly. Solo's never been down in the two years of operation. It's it's run from the get go entirely by the community. The Solo Foundation uh, or C Labs has never run any any validator nodes, which you know is not the norm. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of these more recent layer one proof of stake networks seem to have a, a big percentage of, of the network run by kind of the teams uh, that initially worked on on these networks. Um, and so we're, we're a highly decentralized platform that that's, again, EVM compatible and, and then has some really nice bonus features that make it particularly good for, uh, for mobile products. And we can get into that in a sec. But, um, but yeah, that's how I would articulate it. So, so let's say let's say I'm a developer and, I, and I'm developing an app, and I would love if you can give like a very specific use case 
of like an app that someone might build. Uh, what what would what would get me excited about building on Cello and 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 like what are going to be those those features that are there in my toolkit in order to achieve my mission, like whatever that is. Yeah, um, if you're a developer and you, and you want to build really easy to use Web three products that work uh, reach billions of people, you know, likely on mobile devices, uh, then Cello is really the platform for you. Um, and um, the reason for that is, um, you know, Cello is fully EVM compatible, so we're we're compatible with you know the smart contracting language that is has you know clearly won out as kind of the uh, the the language that you know is enough the most tooling out there for the most um, formal verification. Um, Kind of offerings, the most uh, audit firms that support it, um, um, just the most resources online if you need help and get stuck. And so everything starts for us with being fully EVM compatible. But uh, there are these bonus features. So, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about mobile being really important right now in Web3. Um, and, you know, it's great. I mean, we've been uh, talking about this for the last um, kind of four years. And, you know, it's one thing to, to try to partner with a phone company and, and try to develop a, a phone, but it's another thing to actually have features that, that are actually relevant to um, mobile uh, ingrained directly in the platform. Um, and so that's, that's what Cello does. I would say there's uh, two really nice mobile features and then one additional feature that I think from an ease of use perspective is just really critical the on the mobile front, none of these uh, other platforms that are talking about targeting mobile uh, have like clients that realistically work on mobile devices. Uh, if if you want uh, to target mobile devices, you need and want to do it in a Web three way. That means that you have to allow these mobile devices to be able to sync with the network in a fully trustless manner. And, and sadly, that's not the status quo today. Uh, everyone uses RPC endpoints for their mobile apps uh, and web pages for that matter. Um, and, um, you know, these RPC endpoints are 100% prone to surveillance and censorship. So a lot of what we gain from building uh, on Web3, we're actually giving up instantly as soon as we choose that that way of building the apps. And so... Wow. That's really fascinating. Do people know that? <laughs> like, is that common? Uh, I think, I think developers know, uh, I think users don't know. Yeah. Users don't care yeah, yeah. Uh, for the most part, unless they're, um, well, I mean, I can speak for us, like, you know, people who, women and, and people who are concerned about, um, like what just happened here in the United States with Roe v. Wade, like, Privacy is a huge concern right now. Everyone's saying like we need to encrypt our biometric data somehow um, because even just things like, you know, having sleep tracker apps um, could potentially be criminalized. These are, these are just conversations that people are having now that Roe v. Wade has been rolled back. So I think it's on people's radar now more than it ever has been before. Um, and even just those conversations has made me start to go, wait a minute, nothing on my phone <laughs> is totally, fully, 100% encrypted, nothing. Um, and so it, there's so many different holes, I think, in, a, in the way that we use technology and nothing is consistently across the board encrypted. So um, anyway, sorry to interrupt and go on a tangent, but just to say... Are really- yeah, no, it's an yeah. important tangent, and it's it's crazy that we live in in these times, and that these are the things that, that yeah, yeah. people have to worry about. Absolutely, yeah, just nuts. Um, and you, you're right, and so I think I think these things are becoming more top of mind for people. You know, just like suddenly stability became top of mind once um, you know Terra uh, imploded. Right. Uh, I think these are the things that nobody thinks about until they need to. Um, but the question is, are we willing to really change our lifestyles and consumer choices around these issues that you, we sometimes have the privilege of not being able, not having to care about. And sometimes we don't have that privilege, you know? Right. I mean, this is where I think developers have to, have to, um, come in and, and help and, and developers care about this, right? I think developers are thoughtful. They pick platforms that are decentralized and most decentralized. Um, and, and ultimately, 
you know, they become good stewards for, for their users. And in terms of having to change behavior, luckily, you know, Sela uses, um, Sela has a really nice proof of stake consensus protocol that uses some really new cryptography. And um, um, the end result is you can, you can actually create ZK snark proofs that prove, in effect, that a header is part of the chain. Uh, and so that allows you to really with just a few kilobytes sync and get the latest um, header, which then gives you the kind of Merkle root uh, of all state in the chain. Uh, and that allows you to then verify all state in the chain using Merkle proofs. And because it's so lightweight, um, you can, in theory, build applications where the user doesn't isn't the wiser, and you're building things that are fully fully decentralized, um, and that that's really exciting, and, and and that's I think one thing that right up, right from the bat we knew that if we wanted to target mobile devices, we had to invest in, in and this was a, a huge investment. This took years of um, of effort. Um, doing anything with Snarks is not easy, and doing it correctly is even harder. So I want to. I want to kind of guide us a little bit because I want to hear your story, but we're talking about so many interesting things. So I'm going to try to keep the long view in mind that I want to get us back to your founding story. But there are so many things that we have to talk about first. So, okay. So you're talking about um, like user behavior, consumer behavior. Are we willing to change our behavior? And we know that Solana just came out with the idea. I don't think they've protocoled it yet, but the idea for the mobile phone, right? The, the, The Solana phone. So can you talk, like, do we need a whole phone, a whole new phone in order to interact with blockchain and move into Web3 or, and and talk about kind of how you guys made your decision to not necessarily present a new phone, but to rather focus on the, on the dev side of it and creating these, these very particular tokens that work on the existing smartphones that we are already using. Maybe talk a little bit about that tension and then I'll let you and Sammy riff on the tech side of it. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously, I think, an interesting announcement. Um, uh, it, it does seem a little puzzling because um, the, the things that um, Web3 has to do well to, to become mobile first, in, in my mind, don't really require uh, a mobile phone. Um, I think a lot of really big companies have tried to launch their own mobile phones. You've had Amazon try to do it, uh, obviously Microsoft as well. Uh, these are, you know, extremely large companies with effectively unlimited resources that, that weren't able to make it happen. And so if Solana can pull it off. Yeah. So what makes Solana think, uh, yeah, I, what makes them know. think that they can pull it off? And I know you can't speak for them. But I'm curious <laughs> to know. Uh, yeah, yeah like I, I just does the market does the market suggest that from your perspective, being somebody who is building a, a mobile first blockchain? Yeah, I mean it's hard to speak to that. But what I can speak to is um, I don't think it's important to launch your own phone, right? I think what's important is that you build mobile applications that that reach people why why are people excited about mobile phones uh not because we want to sell mobile phones to people but because people have mobile phones billions of them right there's six billion plus uh smartphones out there that have active internet connections today yeah not everyone has a smartphone some people have more than one which is why that number ends up being close to the population now but still, um, that that is a lot of people with smartphone devices today. Uh, I think there's 8 billion mobile devices um, with an active subscription. So that means over 75% are, are now smartphones. Smartphone penetration is just through the roof. Um, and I'm more excited about building for those phones and for those users than for users who will one day own a, a new device that will have its own, I guess, app store that allows it to compete against um, kind of the restrictive wall garden and kind of uh, policies of, of existing um, uh, app stores. Um, I think, you know, that's where the users are. That's where the need is. Um, and, and these devices are plenty capable. I think what's not... Uh, um, 
really working is um, people haven't built consensus protocols that, that can actually sync um, in a trustless way on these devices. Uh, and people aren't really thinking about developing applications in a mobile-first way. Um, you know, Web2 has done mobile-first. I'm sorry, I'm just going to actually ask from the from the on-ramp perspective, Sammy, are you noticing that mobile is kind of an afterthought for a lot of the dApps that you're that that Transac is partnering with, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I guess um, from the stats that we see, I, it does seem like more people are kind of on ramping into mobile than than into desktop. Um, and it's interesting because like a lot of people, when they release like a new protocol, when they release like a new NFT marketplace or, or game or something like that, it seems that people like often go desktop first. Um, which I mean, like as a developer from a selfish point of view, kind of makes sense because you've got like more real estate to play with. You can, like, um, you can like build your app and you can have like several things on the page. So, um, but yeah, I, I really like that, that Marek and the team have, have kind of taken this bet of like, it is going to be mobile first, which, which like, you know, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth here. It seems to be like quite a, a strong stance that you've taken. Uh, also seems to be quite evident from your, like from your brand and, and from, from the activities that you're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I really respect that kind of stance that you've taken. I think, you know, we've seen similar things when like Facebook went like mobile all in. Right. And, and I think you kind of like went down that route. One, one question I'd be interested to hear Marek, is, is like, um, so there's all these perks and all these benefits of building on seller. Can you, can you run us through like a very specific use case of like either a real app or like a theoretical app? Um, and, and like what? you know, how, how, how that would be, um, be able to service people and, and how that would use the tools in this, in this toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe just to round off the, those extra features that, that Cello has, um, probably should have listed them before started going into them one by one. But, you know, we talked about the light client. Uh, the other thing that, that Cello does really well is uh, it leverages what, you know, people have on their devices. Um, that's all. Of, that's one of the most important things about building mobile first. And so that means um, leveraging contact lists. So Cello has a decentralized phone verification protocol, which means that you can uh, actually receive funds at your phone number, uh, which means that people can send you funds um, if, if you are in their contact list. Uh, and then finally, Cello lets you pay for transaction fees with tokens, uh, tokens that have been allowed listed through on-chain governance. Uh, and that means that you can, um, and there's uh, three stable coins now have been allow listed. And so you can actually send payments uh, and pay for those transaction fees in, in those stable coins. Um, and so. Which are what? Cello uh, dollar, cello euro, and cello Brazilian real. Wow. So. There's a lot of. So I could text. So this is kind of going back to the global Venmo uh, idea that you were talking about. Like I could text my friend just through texting send send crypto can you talk can you talk a little bit about how, how that excuse me how that would work like would you need the wallet address in order to do that like walk us through that process a little bit yeah so on a traditional uh wallet you would obviously need a wallet address to send someone money that means that they have to go and create the wallet before you send the money now, if you look at web two companies that's not how they work they let you send money before um uh the recipient signs up right like coinbase famously does this um, actually the way I got onboarded into crypto was Brian Armstrong at a music festival, sent me some Bitcoin, um, using exactly that flow, but it's centralized, right? And so it'd be really nice to, um, you know, have it be decentralized, uh, and it, uh, and actually, um, luckily we already have it. Um, so after four years of building this, can now experience this this flow. Um, if you sign up with Valora, which is a mobile wallet on Cello, um, you can send money to someone even um, even before they've signed up. And the way it works is you send money to their phone number. The uh, wallet will send the funds to an escrow smart contract um, that can only be uh, where the funds can only be released uh, once uh, the recipient signs up with their phone number. Um, and we do this in a way that is very privacy focused. Sorry, I just love that term, escrow smart contract. Just like, I'm just going to like let that sink in. I love words, obviously. <laughs> but that's just such a smart idea. It's a good word. And, um, and the experience is literally that the funds are waiting there for you. 
Uh, and then when the recipient signs up and verifies their phone number, they verify it with three texts that come from three randomly selected participants on the network. Very and this replaces the need for anybody who accepts tips through Venmo to ask their patrons or customers to use a uh, an encrypted emoji <laughs> instead of writing tips. Like I have a lot of people like here in New York, a lot of people do that, like the hairdresser or whatever. They'll ask you to tip them on Venmo, but they don't want to. I mean, this is illegal, but they don't want to claim all of their tips or they they just don't want the government to necessarily be able to see how they're using Venmo. I'm not going to out anybody. <laughs> Um, but they'll say like, you know, just, just write books or just like use a, use an emoji or whatever. Um, and I'm not saying that they're all not claiming their tips. I'm sure that they are doing their taxes in, in a way that's just fine. But the point is, is that they want control over that. Like they want to, to be able to claim that without Venmo doing it on their behalf. And, 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 and this kind of ease of use can be tied in with with compliance and, and yes, and, and taxes eventually, right? Okay, I want to I want to dig into this Brian Armstrong story a little bit. We, we like way past that. That's like a really cool story. So, like, was he trying to hire you and like get you to join Coinbase or like like were you friends? Like like because that's that's a pretty cool story. Now we met uh, for the first time. Then it was uh, an out, outside lands. Um, it was the Outside Lands Festival, um, which happens yearly in uh, Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, we met for the first time that day, um, 2013. And he, um, you know, was very excited about the company he was building. And and I think he was um, onboarding as many people as he could um you know, feasibly do by himself. And so, and the way he was doing that was giving some, some Bitcoin to people. Uh, it was a very small amount at the time. Obviously it's grown uh, to be uh, actually not so insignificant anymore. Um, but it was, yeah, really, I think it was, a, it was a great experience. Um, and, you know, he's a really great guy. And it was fun. It was a good time. Was he doing this like in a, like in a booth or something like on behalf of Coinbase or was he just doing it from no. friend to friend? <laughs> we need details, Merrick. <laughs> I think they were um, one of my uh, former employees from my last startup. Actually, around after this, uh, went to Coinbase, um, and so and I think he was employee number like twelve or something. So this means that they were less than twelve employees at the time when when he did this. So I don't think they were, I don't think they were big enough for a booth at that point. This kind of sounds a little bit like Sammy's story of paying people, was it one ETH or 0.1 ETH on Reddit? 0.1 ETH on Reddit <laughs> to ask them for information about DAP. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's how you bootstrap. That's how you turn smoke into fire. So I, I got a question for you, Mark. How do you, how do you measure success? Like, like, do you have a North Star metric? You know, different companies have different metrics, right? Like, so Spotify is... Uh, number of hours of music listened to. Airbnb is is number of nights stayed, um, and then eBay is like gross merchandise value of what's going through that platform. And like all of those metrics, like eventually kind of tie into revenue, right? Because the the idea of like a traditional business is to make money eventually for for the shareholders. So does does that kind of concept exist in in Seller and and, and in Valora? Yeah, I mean, I think every company in the ecosystem has their own north star. Um... Valora being a mobile wallet, I think, as you would expect, has um, um, uh, North Star is related to you know active users. Um, but uh, C Labs, which is a company that focuses more on co- public goods related offerings in the seller ecosystem, uh, their North Star is um, a gross cello product. So it's uh, you can think of it as the GDP of the of the platform. Um, and the reason for that um, versus just focusing on transaction counts or TVL um, is that n- neither of those two are, are perfect metrics for, for measuring real economic activity on, on the platform. But, um, um, but, you know, GDP has um, almost, it's a, almost a blend of both, not quite, but it, it's somewhat uh, analogous to that, uh, and so we thought it was it was a really good. And, and is that 
changing sitting there and 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 just um, like total value lock type thing, or is that the GDP that's actually like being transferred across in, in a sense? Yeah, can you can you tell us a little bit about how the the calculations for both are distinct? Yeah, so TVL is just looking at how much value is locked in in smart contracts. Um, Counting kind of transactions uh, or transaction volume is just looking at the actual transactions happening on the chain and and um, and, and the volume of them uh, and um, a GDP is is almost anal- analogous to kind of the product of both um, and so you can drive the um, metrics by um, driving either of those two things which which is nice because. You know, to date, a lot of focus on these platforms have been um, building single-player mode um, products, right? I think one of the greatest innovation behind, you know, DEXs um, is that you don't need a counterparty to actually use it. You can use it in a single-player mode. Um, and uh, a lot of DeFi today is is very single-player. And, and that's certainly easier to bootstrap than multiplayer um, um offerings but if we think about um crypto eventually um leapfrogging you know traditional finance like what 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 do people use traditional finance for well a big part of it is actually payments right a big part of it is actually sending money and that's a a multiplayer mode kind of product that requires a a lot of transactions um and so if you just capture tvl you're not going to capture your if you just track tvl you're not going to capture uh, how well you're doing as a as an actual payment network, um, and so that's something that we wanted to capture as well in, in this North Star metric, and that's something that Celo is particularly, I would say, also amenable to, and it's a really great platform for because it's highly scalable. Because you can pay for transaction fees with tokens, it means you can actually send stable coins uh, and and pay for that transaction fee in that stable coin. It's it's just such a nice platform for payments, and in fact, actually. There's um, a company called Amr Group, um, started by one of the early employees at Telegram, um, that that built um, this kind of self-custodial um, card. It's a smart card with a private key inside this little chip. Um, that's uh, that's in the card. Looks like a credit card, but um, you can't use it on the Visa or Mastercard network. And instead. You can use it with with Amra Group's um, kind of custom POS, where you can literally tap to pay exactly like you do with uh, with your credit card today uh, using NFC. It sends a transaction up to the chip. The chip signs uh, the transaction, uh, and then it sends it back with NFC. It all happens in the span of a second. Uh, the experience is exactly like Visa, but you're actually transacting and settling on chain. Um, that's really, really exciting. Um, you know, another network is, is focusing on, on building these kinds of experiences uh, and really going after, you know, real world use cases, you know, like payments um, where, you know, again, I think we take it for granted um, that not everyone has the convenience of, you know, being able to pay with your credit card in this super easy way. Um, you know, self-custodial wallets are a really great way to, to bring that to everyone. But you have to make it really easy. You have to make it super seamless. And, and these folks are, are just really crushing it on that front. I love that because in the, like in theory, somebody who doesn't necessarily have a credit score or just doesn't want to use credit or someone who doesn't have a bank, a, I guess, traditional bank with a ATM debit card that works on the Visa network could basically have the same experience of paying but it's coming out of their they're their own bank basically yeah and the fees are are negligible uh and it's composable so anyone can build on top of this unlike visa you can't like plug into visa and um you know as a third party like offer nft incentives uh, to people who buy from i don't know fair trade coffee shops right but um, in one of the beauties of Web3 is that all, all of this is fully composable. Someone could actually offer that benefit to this card that you're holding. It can be a different company than the card company that issued it. Um, and that's, I think, where, where things get really exciting is 
and you don't need to ask permission, right? You just you just go ahead and, and you look up the docs and you just you just do it. Yeah, right. I mean, so it like it could be like some kid in their dorm room just decides like, okay, I'm going to build something on top of this, right? You don't you don't need to have like a compliance department or anything like that. Well, maybe you do in some cases, but but you can pretty much just go ahead and build, right? Yeah, and you know, and people are working on compliance solutions too. That, that can plug into these things as well. And so, um, you know, the thing that made DeFi so exciting, all the composability, um, all that's going to continue, but it's going to continue in the payment space. Um, and, you know, it's not just, you know, building on top of payments that's going to be exciting. It's even the actual underlying currencies that people are transacting with. Um, and so I mentioned Celo Dollar as a, as a stable coin that you can use to pay for gas with. Celo Dollars are backed in part by um, refi assets. Uh, the goal is to get to something like 40% um, backing. Um, but um, for now, it's, it's a lot less than that. Um, but um, when, uh, when the coin gets to that level um, of collateralization by um, things like carbon offset credits or tokenized trees or, or other uh, carbon sequestering assets. You know, we're going to live in a world where you can not only vote with your dollar, uh, you're going to be able to vote with which dollar you use to, to pay for things. Um, and that's going to be really exciting, right? You're going to be able to hopefully, um, with one of these cards, like go and, and, and tap to pay uh, and actually explicitly say that, yeah, I want to I pay with a stable coin that uh, is helping fight climate change. Like that's important for me. Uh, and that really small change in behavior can have um, really massive impact. You don't have to donate anything. You just have to change what you're using to transact. That, yeah, it sounds like science fiction, but it's, it's, it's happening. Like we're... It's much superior to rounding up your dollar at the grocery store <laughs> to, to donate to whatever kind of charity or organization you want to donate to. Yeah, or do both, right? I mean... Yeah, truly. I think... I think so yeah, all of this sounds like science fiction, but we're we're it's around the corner. It's it's an exciting world we live in. I always ask people how long they think it's going to take, and I've gotten lots of different uh, answers. But before I ask that question, I want to go back to Sammy's point about like you know you can build on these on these platforms, um, and you may or may not want a compliance department. Can you guys put your heads together and think of maybe two different examples? One where somebody somebody in their dorm room might just want to build like a protocol on top of, of this new network and wouldn't necessarily need be thinking about scaling or compliance compared to maybe a company or an organization that would really want to be building with this like clients minded use case in mind. Sure. I mean, if you're um, offering custodial solutions to merchants to accept these, these assets, then you're going to have to have uh, a lot of licenses in a lot of countries that you're operating in. Uh, and you're going to have um, a very uh, strong compliance function that, that helps you with all of the different uh, compliance um, needs of you know your your customers, the merchants that are accepting these payments. Um, if you are, so this would be like if you were a company and you wanted to accept payments in a store, like in a corporate store or something like that. Like if this was at the Gap or one of the bigs global stores wanted to start accepting if you're if you're selling offerings to those companies then then yeah if if you're just a mom and pop shop that has a self-custodial wallet then um you know i think the the regulation that applies to you is going to be a little different than if you're a custodial solution selling to you know um other merchants the but I think, you know, if you're a kid in the dorm room and you're excited about this future and you want to do something uh, on your own, then, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do that, um, you know, probably um, uh, require um, less uh, effort on the, um, uh, on the regulation front. I mean, I think we know that in many markets, uh, NFTs are... Uh, regulated as commodities, and, and if you're minting NFTs and offering people um, badges or various incentives, using them to to maybe change their behavior in some way or to reward certain types of behavior, you're going to have uh, a different amount of of regulatory 
compliance work to do, then then again that that uh, custodial um, product. So I mean, I think it really depends what you're building, um, what, to what extent it's self custodial, to what extent it's it's um, it touches fiat, um, and you know, of course, everything changes over time too, right? I think the there's a lot of FATF and FinCEN regulations that are currently in flight, and, and all of this can change. Um, and, you know, I'm sure Sammy is much more well-versed in, in all of this than, than I am. Um, so maybe yeah, I'll, I'll let you kind of chime in as well. Yeah, I think that, I think that um, a payment is, is a remarkably simple thing to do from a, from a tech and product point of view without all the compliance for stuff, right? So a payment, really, you're just like moving a number from like one register to another register. It's like, it's like um, Megan has $100, Marek has $50. Uh, Megan wants to send $20 to Marek. You just like subtract 20 from Megan's account and add 20 to Marek's account. It's not like rocket science, right? I think the, the really hard thing is, is like the security behind that and, and, and the compliance behind that, right? So firstly, how do you stop someone from like taking... Megan's hundred dollars without her permission, um, or Marx, and and then and then also how do you stop how do you stop uh, bad people from like sending money on that network, right? So like if, if someone just like sold a bunch of drugs and then wants to like uh, launder that money, then how do you stop them from doing that? Or or if someone wants to scam someone, right? Um, then then how do you stop them from doing that? And I think that's that's something that like a lot of people don't think about when they start like a very early stage company back to this kind of kid in the dorm room example. Um, but when you start to get scale and, and your platform starts to get mass adoption, like people inevitably do try to do those things on your platform. So th- the whole idea that compliance is not necessary is, is totally misguided. It's, it's like 100% necessary. So it's a matter of when, not if, or. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean, uh, like, like Mark says, like you can't, you can't just like, set up like a custodian company and expect to get like mass adoption and not to get picked up by regulators. Um, and I, I think rightly so in a lot of ways. I mean, I think regulation can be done always better, but, but, um, and, and, and like what, what, I guess what Marek's technology and, and, and what Silo is doing kind of takes care of the decentralization part and takes care of the, like, you know, how, how do we stop someone from, um, double spending Megan's money or something like that, right? But then um, we need a whole bunch of other building blocks, right? So some of those building blocks is what Transact is building in terms of like handling the compliance around exchanging fiat to crypto. Um, you know, we ha- we also handle a lot of the compliance around KYC and money transmission and, and those kind of things. And we abstract that away from, from companies. Uh, but I, I would like to see a world in which um, these problems are kind of broken down into developer toolkits and they can somewhat abstract that away from like maybe the cool innovative stuff, um, which, which is kind of riffing on, on this composability part of, of Marek's, what Marek is saying. I, I think the, like having composable compliance and composable uh, security and, and, and these kind of things like baked into a developer toolkit is, is going to be the thing that really empowers people. And I think that's very, very important I love that. Well, we usually end with the question of what what will it take for somebody to become the next master of Web3? And Sammy, you, you kind of just <laughs> gave us a really good segue into it. So um, is there anything else you want to add on onto that about what it like for somebody who is interested in building that composable toolkit? Are there any particular areas where you feel like um, the, uh, there's a big opening for people to come in and, and start building those kinds of tools? Um and also, what will it take for someone to do that? We'll let Sammy build, and then we'll end with Merrick. My my one that's on my mind a lot at the moment is to like phrase the UX of apps and frame the UX of apps in in a like um, and like t- towards the end user case. So like, what is it that that person actually wants to do? Do they want to send money? Do they want to earn money? Do they want to trade something? Like like frame it in that kind of uh, wording, and then abstract all that stuff away from, from them. That, that's my thing that's on my mind right now. I love that. Almost like design thinking kind of like. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and maybe just to add to that, um, you know, Sammy mentioned that most apps uh, that he's seen uh, start off, you know, thinking about the desktop and, and then eventually try to scale it down to mobile. And, um, 
you know, if you if you read uh, Luke uh, Rubelsky's book called Mobile First, highly recommend it. It, it, it talk basically the whole book talks about how even if you're building for desktop, you're gonna have a better product if you start by designing for mobile first and then scale up the design. Um, and you know that's the whole idea behind building mobile first is you're literally designing and building the mobile product first before you you do the desktop one. And I think in in a world where everyone's looking to expand their user base and to reach more people in, in a Web3, building with those uh, intentional use cases or building intentionally with those use cases in mind, like Sammy mentioned, I think is, is critical. Uh, and then building for where those users are, uh, which is mobile, uh, is, is equally important. And so... That, that's what I'm excited for the future of Web3 is, is for Web3 to, to finally lead Web2 uh, in this one and critical way, which is, you know, building, building for mobile. Amazing. Love that. Thank you. Well, I learned so much from this conversation. I always learn so much from our guests. Um, thank you, Merrick, so much. I know the audience is going to benefit from this as well. Make it as easy as possible for mainstream users to buy crypto within your decentralized app or wallet. Onboard more users to crypto, handle higher transaction volumes, improve conversions, and increase revenue through a simple developer integration. To learn more, visit transac.com. That's T-R-A-N-S-A-K.com. You've been listening to Masters of Web 3, a Transac podcast. Stay connected with us by subscribing to the show, giving us a review, and sharing this episode with one of your friends on Twitter. We know you hang out there. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us to keep delivering the best and latest stories on blockchain technology right to your ears. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Masters of Web 3. Masters of Web 3.